Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the A to Z of David Bowie. I'm Mark Riley, and that colourful character is Rob Hughes. As you'll be aware, the A to Z of David Bowie is free to download. <laughs> Lunacy. But if you'd like to support us along the way and be a member of an exclusive Bowie club, you can. And here's how. There's an exclusive Bowie members club called Cheap Things, and for just $5 a month, wow, you can be part of it. Right, so now you're thinking $5 isn't much, but what exactly will I get for my hard-earned cash? Well, in short, you'll get lots of great new exclusive material delivered to your door. Well, computer actually, Mark. Via a system called Patreon. That's right, Mark. Patreon is a payment system that allows you to contribute your monthly subscription and offers you a portal to access the exclusive material. Material such as interviews with Bowie's cohorts and friends, there'll be regular film Bowie quizzes, Bowie guitar tutorials, unreleased archive written material, competitions, and perhaps most impressively, short films featuring the Cheap Things team. Ah, that'll be me, Mark, Howard Nock, and Jason Reed. Visit in various Bowie places of interest and much more besides all this for just $5 a month so if you can't resist simply go to patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash cheap things or one word and join up there's also a website bowie at cheap book early T is for tonight Tonight is a 16th studio album by English musician Davy Bowie, released on the 29th of September 1984 by EMI America Records. It followed his most commercially successful album, Let's Dance. He described the album, released immediately after his previous album's tour wrapped up, as an effort to keep my hand in, so to speak, and to retain the new audience that he had recently acquired. So that's already is pretty kind of uh, calculated. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as we'll discover, he'd sort of lost his way a bit here. Yeah. You know, he had his eye on the commercial prize. The artistic level of Bowie went... Anyway, we should find out, shouldn't we? Yeah. The album was a commercial success, got to number one in the UK in October 84 and received a platinum disc in America and a gold one in the UK. It's received mostly poor reviews from music critics and Bowie expressed dissatisfaction with it in later years. The album was remastered in 2018 and included in the Bowie box set Loving the Alien. David Bowie worked on tonight after completing his serious Moonlight tour in support of his previous album, Let's Dance. He didn't have much luck writing on tour, so described the process of recording the album tonight this way. It was rushed, he said. The process wasn't rushed. We actually took our time recording the thing. Let's Dance was done in three weeks. Tonight took five weeks or something, which for me is a really long time. I like to work fast in the studio. There wasn't much of my writing on it because I can't write on tour and hadn't assembled anything to put out. But I thought it a kind of violent effort as a kind of pin-ups. 
That's a strange way of approaching it, yeah. isn't it? Okay. Uh, Bowie purposely sought to keep the sound of the band that he'd used on the previous album and tour. Well, he would do because he was just massive, wasn't yes. he? Uh, but uh, crucially, I mean, you need all the same component parts to turn around the same kind of product, don't you? Of course and you he do. didn't do that. So feeling that the new fans he'd accumulated would expect to hear the same thing on the new album that they'd heard before, hence the inclusion of the Borneo horned players on the album. So again, he's doing it for the wrong reasons, isn't he? You see, you see he's putting the cart before the horse. He's thinking, what do the audience want? And Bowie had never done that to that point, as I, as I can re- uh, remember. No, he hadn't. He hadn't pandered to the sort of commercial zone. You have to remember, he was like a really sort of, mi- well, not middle of the road, but he was right in the middle, you know, a populist star for the first time in his career. I know he'd had big selling records, but Let's Dance just put him there. Yeah. And rather than kind of step into the side, which he did do, of course, in later years, yeah. he thought, I'm going to stay here and just see what it's like. And then he started making bad decisions. Yeah. And I don't even mean particularly just commercially. I mean, you know, if, if, if he's fan really loved low he didn't make low too when they might have been expecting yeah so, and it was that thing of the comfort zone where you think you know where bowie's going next and of course you never did and no. more often than not 99 percent of the time it was just brilliant but on this occasion he's thinking oh they like that oh, i better do that again i haven't got any songs for it but i'll still do it i think the, the other factor possibly might have just been he was still newly signed to rca and he did sign a huge multi-million dollar sorry to emi and he signed a huge multi-million dollar deal with them, and he delivered Let's Dance, which is more than they could possibly have hoped. And I think part of that, after the experience with RCA and Mainman and all the rest of it, was to kind of satisfy his new paymasters. I think he was a little bit conscious of that. Yeah, he was making a lot of money for the first time, and, yeah. and, and that was a big part of it, of course. But not a great way to have an album kind of uh, driven, if no, you, for true. want of a better phrase. Yeah. Uh, like Let's Dance, but unlike most previous Bowie albums, Bowie played no instruments on the record. And in fact, he delegated almost all responsibility for the music played to his musicians, only occasionally offering critical input. So Bowie brought in Derek Bramble and Hugh Padgham to produce the record, the former receiving the nod from Bowie due to some of the demos he'd recently produced for the English female singer Jackie Graham. As with Let's Dance, Bowie prepared for the album by recording some demos beforehand, this time showing up with eight of the nine songs that would appear on the album. This surprised collaborator Carlos Alomar, who's also the band leader on that record, who said it was the first time in the 11 years I've been with the damn man that he'd brought in anything. Right, OK. <laughs> this is funny as well. Mm. If you think about uh, how anodyne the album is oh. and the next component part, Iggy Pop spent a good deal of time in the studio with Bowie and the band while the album was being recorded, stating, I worked extensively on that album. There's a lot more work on there than is reflected in just a simple co-writing credit for two songs and some of the old stuff. And so uh, Iggy Pop... I know not particularly at this point in time, uh, but he'd been he'd made some of the most reckless records in the world ever. Yeah, and you know his whole personality was one based on danger and living on the edge. Mm. And here he is helping Bowie steer his way through his most sterile album. Yeah, bizarre. Um, yeah, it is a weird one. This, and uh, I'll talk to uh, Hugh Padgham about this, which we'll get to in a bit. Uh, when asked why Bowie included so much pop written material on the album, Iggy could only guess. I think he just wanted the songs heard more, a sentiment Bowie would mirror when covering Pop's Bang Bang on his next album, Never Let Me Down. Uh, Some of the demo tracks weren't yet named, but they were numbered, called simply one, two and three. And so, again, I mean... (sighs) He'd not written much material, Bowie. That's why he's the yeah. cover version. You can put, you can, you can gloss it up and dress it in any way that you like. But he'd not really done the work on it. No, he hadn't. And so, yeah, okay. One will turn into the irreligious album track "Loving the Alien." See, I love that tune. It's a great tune, that. Yeah, I no think it's doubt. brilliant. Bowie described "Loving the Alien" as a very personal bit of writing that he didn't feel would fit in with the rest of the album because it is such a dark song, a missed light affair. He said, "Alien came about because of my feeling that so much history is wrong and is being rediscovered." All 
all the time, and that we base so much on the wrong knowledge that we've gleaned. Bowie cut the demo of the song in Montreux, Switzerland, with a guitarist and a drummer he drafted in from a local Swiss band. De- demo songs two and three were not finished for the album, much to Hugh Padgham's regret. He said, they were really just jams. David had some riffs on a tape in his head, and the band would jam on them. We'd make a bit of a song out of it. But they're really quite raunchy songs. At one point, David asked me what my least favourite song out of the 11 or 12 that he had was, and I said, Blue Jean. It's a strange one. Uh, I thought it was a bit lightweight. I would rather have had two in its place. I couldn't tell you why he didn't put them on the album, but I would have loved to have finished them. Okay, three songs were covered of older Iggy Pop songs, Don't Look Down, Tonight and Neighbourhood Threat, the latter of which stands out as a track Bowie wished he'd not done, with him later calling it Disastrous. That's the one I wished I'd never touched, or at least touched it differently. It went totally wrong. It sounded so tight and compromised, and it was such a gas doing it. It was the wrong band to do it with. Wonderful band, but he wasn't quite right for that song. Mm. Tumble and Twirl, co-written with Iggy, recounts the pair's exploits while vacationing in the Indonesian islands Bali and Java after Bowie's previous tour had ended. Don't Look Down, which was one of Bowie's returns to a reggae-style track, uh, like Yasa Sin of of uh, Lodger Perplex Bowie. I tried it every which way, he said. I tried it jazz rock, I tried it as a march, and then I just hit on an old scar-sounding beat, and it picked up life. Taking energy away from the musical side, reinforced the lyrics and gave them their own energy. I think working with Derek Bramble helped because he uh, played some proper reggae bass lines. Oh. <laughs> That's not mate. a convincing statement. I mean, <laughs> do you know, I mean, I, I absolutely love scar. And oh, reggae, yeah. reggae just doesn't really... I, I always find reggae a bit too relaxed for me. And it just doesn't really do it for me. Uh, but and, and the phrase cod reggae is like one of the biggest insults in the world, isn't it? Probably so, the biggest on a musical level, isn't it? But, possibly. Um, yes. um, so for tonight, the title track and the other reggae-style track on the album, Bowie eliminated Pop's original spoken word introduction, calling it an idiosyncratic thing of Pop's that seemed not part of my vocabulary. I guess removing the spoken introduction changed the whole sentiment around. It still has that same barren feeling, but it's out of that specific area that I'm not at home in. Pop approved of Bowie's changes. For the vocals to the song, Bowie... Bowie and Tina Turner sang face to face, although Bowie went back and re-recorded the first verse after he decided to sing his part in a higher octave. And so he was doing a bit with uh, Tina Turner, wasn't he? <laughs> I asked Hugh Padgham that, and uh, we'll find his answer in a minute. Okay, great. <laughs> Where were you going to go with that? <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's one of those stories. Well, I'd heard that. Yeah, I'd heard that. I think okay. from you, actually. Anyway, <laughs> Dancing with the Big Boys, which Bowie also co-wrote with Pop, was written and recorded in eight hours as they egged each other on. In what was described as an exhilarating rush, Bowie and Pop went into the studio with a few bottles of beer and virtually bellow out anything that came into their heads, said Padgham. And I just recorded it all. The song is about the little guy being crushed by oppressive corporate structures. The lyrics were taken from a backlog of unused lyrics. The line, the dot marks your location, was a reference to a lengthy, irritating stay, that's a quote, at a New York hotel. Bowie had been looking at the hotel room's fire escape map. And your family is a football team was a reference to the immigrant families working in New York. The whole family has to work together for survival. So this is a quote from Bowie. Yeah, he says, there's a particular sound I'm after that I haven't really got yet. I'll either crack it on the next album or retire from it. I think I got quite close to it on Dancing with the Big Boy. I got very musical over the last couple of years, trying to write musically and develop things the way people used to write in the 50s. I stayed away from experimentation 
Never a good thing in Bowie's life. Now I think I should be a bit more adventurous. And in Big Boys, Iggy and I broke away from all that for one track and it came nearer to the sound I was looking for than anything else. You have to say as well, thinking about it, that um, the most money that Iggy Pop would have made in his life up to that point would have been, well, I mean, Raw Power was a big selling album for him. Yeah. With Bowie's, yeah. you know, uh, patronage. But then, of course, uh, The Idiot and Lust for Life, they will have made uh, Iggy some money. And then the version of China Girl will have really raked it in for him. Absolutely. So you could see Iggy probably was, in all honesty, thinking this is going to be a good return for me. This this is going to be, a, you know, a financially sound movement. Well, there's definitely a backstory to this album. You know, that idea of Bowie, uh, you know, being the benefactor and trying to help his mate along. Because he did, because obviously not long after this, Iggy gets a new deal. He didn't have a deal at this point, did he? I don't right. think. In the mid 80s. And then he has the deal and blah, blah, blah comes out. Produced and by Bowie. Yeah. And it's a big, big sound on it. It's very commercial and it's a huge success. So... Behind all, you can sort of see Bowie's reasoning. Oh, yeah, it's great. I mean, he did it for so many different people, didn't he? We know that. Uh, Three singles were released from the album tonight, Blue Jean and Loving the Alien. Blue Jean, in turn, spawned several videos, including an elaborate 20-minute long collaboration with Julian Temple, which was described as more of a mini-film than a video and represented Bowie's interest in making actual movies. Despite some positive reviews of the album, other reviewers criticised it for lacking creativity. Padgham, who co-produced the album, also said it was less innovative than other Bowie albums. An article for Melody Maker dismissed tonight as rotten. All music critic Stephen Thomas Erlewine called it one of the weakest albums Bowie ever recorded and wrote that none of the material equals the songs on Let's Dance, although he made an exception for Blue Jean. The new Rolling Stone album guide described tonight as an expensive quickie padded with lame covers. (laughs) What a dismissal. Right, Okay. (laughs) Bowie would later distance himself from the album, acknowledging that it was not one of his stronger efforts. In 1989, when working with Tim Machine, he mused, there's stuff on that album that I could really kick myself about. When I listened to those demos, it how did it turn out like that? You should hear the Loving the Alien on demo. It's a wonderful demo, I promise you. Then he laughs. But on the album, it's not as wonderful. No. <laughs> Despite the general consensus on the album, Stylus magazine reviewed it in 2005 as part of its On Second Thought section and concluded that tonight, although not a great album, is still a good one. It's a much better album than you think it is, they said, or may have been led to believe. Bowie's made some subpar records, but this isn't one of them. Mm. And frankly, even its failures aren't boring. Mm. Because, well, it's an 80s Bowie album from a decade in which he was wildly inconsistent, but also never dull. Well, I, mean, I think that, you know, history has, has proven that it's, it's David Bowie's worst album. I, I think, think so. Everybody kind of slates Never Let Me Down, but at least he was engaged and trying to play instruments and trying to do something different. But tonight, is a, it is a stinker. Yeah, I think so, yeah. In 2016, Yo Zushi of the New Statesman also defended the album, writing, No album that begins with a seven-minute masterpiece, Loving the Alien, fair point, and containing the rocking blue gene, fair point, should have received the drubbing it got. He also argued the TV special style cover of the Beach Boys' God Only Knows is a stirring in its cold, almost Brechtian way, as station to station's wild as a wind. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's like watching Elvis in Las Vegas through a sheet of ice. No, it's no, not. No, it's not. That is just wrong. Yeah. Music is subjective, but that is just wrong. Yeah, he's wrong. What is he, Bob? He's wrong. Track listing, loving the alien. Don't look down. God only knows. Why he did it. Tonight with Tina Turner. Neighbourhood threat. Tumble and twirl. I keep forgetting. And dancing with the big boys with Iggy. I mean, we, you know, when we do these albums, go through the albums one by one, we can kind of go off piece quite a lot yes. because we've got a, an opinion on them. I haven't got much of an opinion on this apart from the fact, and, and it is only based on a couple of listens because I listened to it and didn't go back oh. to it for a long, long time and then listened to it again. I thought, yeah, I was right first time. So, you know, there, there will be people out there going, boo, 
boo, Mark and Rob, boo, I love this record. And there will be people out there oh, yes. who do think that it's a, a, a worthy part of his catalogue, but mm. we personally don't, and Bowie, by the look of it, didn't either. And so, oh. you know, everybody's entitled to their own opinion, aren't they? Yeah, I remember buying it at the time and thinking, especially after Let's Dance, which was so punchy and up, you know, and thinking, oh, what a disappointment. My heart sank, it's awful. Yeah, so let's look at the Jazzing for Blue Jean video. Jazzing for Blue Jean is a 20-minute short film featuring Davey Bowie and directed by Julian Temple. It was created to promote Bowie's single Blue Jean in 1984 and released as a video single. Remember them? Oh, yeah. The film won the 1985 Grammy Award for Best Video Short Form, later renamed Best Music Video, which proved to be Bowie's only competitive Grammy Award during his lifetime. Wow. The film depicts the adventures of the socially incompetent Vic, played by Bowie, as he tries to win the affections of a beautiful girl by claiming to personally personally know her favourite rock star, Screaming Lord Byron, also played, of course, by Bowie. And a nod to Screaming Lord Such. Yeah. Of course. Uh, rightfully disbelieving him, she challenges Vic to introduce her to him. They make a date for a Screaming Lord Byron show, where Vic attempts to sneak backstage to convince Mr Screaming to come and say hello to him and the girl after the show. Screaming does come to Vic's table after the show and says hello to him and the girl, but the girl and Screaming Lord Byron have already met in Peru, obviously, and she leaves with the rock star instead of Vic. As they drive off, Bowie breaks the fourth wall and asks the director why the story changed from his Concept. It's a great video, actually, isn't it? Playful, yeah. yeah. And it is funny, isn't it? Because we know the uh, the cast here. Screaming Lord Byron, Vic, David Bowie. Uh, Louise Scott plays The Dream. Screaming's band, Paul Ridgely. Yeah, Richard Fairbrass. And Daryl Humphreys. So Richard Fairbrass of Right Said Fred. Yeah. And it was one of them when people said, oh, that's him out Right Said Fred in Bowie's video. You go, no. And then you look at it, and of course it is. He's got hair in it, though. Yeah, think, yeah he is. Uh, and of course, Bowie's standing was a guy called Ian Ellis. Right, okay. All right, then. I think we're done, aren't we? I think we're done, certainly. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The A to Z of David Bowie with Mark Riley and Rob Hughes. 
So that's what we think of tonight, isn't it, Bob? And uh, we've laid our cards on the table. But you you did interview Hugh Padgham uh, in the August of 2018. And uh, so the first question that you asked, I believe you suggested to Bowie using Mooring Heights in Canada for the recording of tonight. And he said, I'm not sure, but it was probably me because I'd been there a year or 18 months before with the police. I feel slightly guilty if it was me because towards the end of the record, Bowie was getting really bored of being in the middle of nowhere. On the other hand, he liked to record fairly quickly. And if anything, this record was probably quite slow compared to what he was used to. As Bowie was saying, that five weeks is, is a long time in a Bowie yeah. uh, calendar. I then said to me, he went into the studio to make tonight only a few months after the end of the serious Moonlight tour, which had gone on for a long, long time. Did you get the impression that the record company were trying to rush Bowie into the studio for a follow-up to Let's Dance? His answer, yes, I think so. But the thing is, I wasn't really involved in the whole why and wherefore of it all. I was originally contracted by my friend Bob Clearmountain, who was the engineer on Let's Dance. He was originally asked by David to do it, but he couldn't. No one's going to turn down working with Bowie. I would have probably taken the gig if I'd been asked to be the T-boy. It was only later on, after Derek Bramble had gone, that I thought, oh my God, this is what I've been, <laughs> this is what I've been left with. Well, the thing is, so Bowie brings in Derek Bramble initially, didn't he? And yeah. it just didn't work out. They didn't get on. We should probably find out some reasons in a minute. What is Derek Bramble's uh, history? I don't really know. He's, he's, uh... Well, he'd, he'd produced... He was just a, a new guy on the block. You know, he'd produced Jackie Graham. I think he might have been involved in uh, in Heatwave at one point. So he was coming from that sort of British soul and R&B end. Right. And he didn't have a lot of experience. But Bowie... I think it's... You know, that thing that Bowie had about working with, like, you know, up-and-coming producers, sure. you know, edgy people. And he thought this was one of them, uh, and it didn't turn out to be the case. So Hugh Padgham, apart from being the engineer to begin with, ended up being promoted to producer just to, to finish it off. Right, with you. All right. So uh, he says here, when I rocked up at the gig, nobody actually said, there's only two songs on the album that David's written on his own, Loving the Alien and Blue Jean. All the others were from Iggy's album, plus the Beach Boys cover and the Libra and Stoller cover. I think Dancing with the Big Boys was pretty well written in the studio, I think. Then the others were from Iggy's album, Lust for Life. So it's definitely a case of, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine kind of vibe going on. Uh, and then I said to him, I believe that Iggy and Bowie had more songs together. This is what we were talking about before, wasn't it? Had more songs together. And in your opinion, they were better than the ones that finally made it onto the album. Well, uh, these two spare songs never got finished. And he says that Nigel Reeve has since found the tape. So we're, Nigel's a mate of ours yeah. and he, he's got the keys to the Bowie cupboard. Yes. Hello, Nigel. You're great. Uh, what I do remember is that they were rock orientated and I thought that they might really sort of be a balance for the album. When I got asked to finish the album off and co-produce, I think at that point, David was like, I just want to get this bloody thing done. I'm stuck out here in the middle of nowhere and I've spent too long doing it as far as I'm concerned. And I just want to get on and enjoy being a pop star for once. Fair enough, David. Uh, he went on to say, I got on like a house on fire with David. He was an absolute gentleman to me. We met up a few years later when I did something with him on Tin Machine. Obviously, we all know stories of his ruthlessness and the way he treated musicians and stuff. But as far as I'm concerned, he was always a total gentleman with me and a consummate professional in terms of the fact I don't think I've ever worked with a better singer. Uh, he continued, going back to the album, I wasn't crazy about the faux reggae vibe on tonight. I love Tina Turner, but the whole vibe she was in at the time was quite poppy. And I thought Blue Jean was a bit lightweight as well. I never thought that the album would eventually be called Tonight, which to me was one of the least cool Bowie songs. So I was keen to do two extra tracks, which felt more like a balancing out. Do you know, I mean, Tonight is a great song. Yeah, but, but not here. <laughs> but not here, yeah, okay. So he's wrong about the song, but right about the version. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so your question, this thing about enjoying being a pop star, did you get the impression that it was something he craved all along? 
I think he was, although maybe not so much commercially, said Hugh. We used to chat sometimes, and when uh, Coco Schwab was around, uh, Bowie's PA, and I think he was enjoying having all the attention of being a pop star and being straight, because he went through a pretty druggy period in the late 70s when he said he couldn't really remember much of it at all. So I think maybe the fact he was straighter, he was certainly enjoying that, and this was a few years before he met Iman. And I did ask him, now this is to answer your question before, Mark, were Bowie and Tina Turner an item at the time? I didn't say, were they doing it? I just Doing I'm, a bit. I'm, yeah, <laughs> an item. Well, you obviously not got my journalist bent, right. mate. Uh, I don't think so, he said, because I remember that David had a girlfriend who used to come up occasionally from New York. And this girl would only come over with a friend. So David's got me to try and entertain this girl's friend. And I was about to get married, so I'd say, no, I can't. A friend did come up, but we platonically entertained her. That was so delicate. (laughs) That sounds like a a right old disclaimer to me. And I am sure absolutely truthful. Right, okay. So, and then you asked, the story goes that Derek Bramble didn't work out because he was trying to get Bowie to do quite a few vocal takes of everything, whereas Bowie, by nature, always did one or two takes and then moved on. Yeah, said Hugh, that was definitely part of the friction I think in a way I think everybody there was really experienced either in the studio or in terms of making records and Derek was maybe a little out of his depth perhaps wanted to prove he was meant to be the boss and it didn't really work my thing with David and the singing is that he nails it on the first or second go without a doubt every time he was pitch perfect and everything he was absolutely the best singer I've ever worked with not to knock other people but he was so fast and professional so I think when he was asked to sing another take in my head he's going why I'm thinking the same thing and David and I exchanged glances once or twice and those glances then turned into a conversation ah so as part of this piece it was for uh, Uncut Magazine actually with the coincide with the release of the big box set Loving the Alien I was uh, chatting to Carlos Alomar about the same thing well about the whole sort of 80s career but we got onto tonight inevitably and uh, I did say to him did you think David had a clear idea of the record he wanted to make with tonight so this is probably this is his answer kind of alludes to what I was saying before about you know um, just not being prepared you know the record company maybe putting a bit of pressure on right and Carla said no no not at all so we were on this serious moonlight tour and we get called by the record company who say the record's doing great sales are amazing we need another album right away I mean, come on, why would you bother one of your main artists on who you'd invested all this money just so we can come off the road and slap something together for your people? This is what really bummed David out. He hated that. And with all due respect to David, continued Carlos Alomar, this is common practice. Record companies do it all the time, and yet you would think, with the kind of support you wanted, you weren't getting it. So this issue of support was constantly on his mind. Here you are, supporting me on this amazing tour, but now you want me to go and do something completely crazy, which is do an album. For me, tonight was okay, uh, in a so-so voice. Uh, When we get to the studio, we start throwing things together and seeing what it is we can do. Uh, He continued, in this particular case, the biggest thing for him was the fact that he had Tina Turner coming in to do this. Now, this is really important. As iconic as David is, he wanted this to be an amazing experience for her. I'm a Buddhist and she's a Buddhist. We belong to the same organisation. So he's like, Carlos and Robin, you've got to join us for dinner. We talked about Zen Buddhism and Tao and Shakyamuni Buddha. Okay, so he says, I could feel his personal discomfort at being in a room with someone as iconic as Tina Turner. As a kid, he idolised this woman, so he can well understand that he wanted all things covered. Let there be no stone unturned to make this woman feel at home. And we had a wonderful time. Then you asked him, uh, what about the idea to do the Beach Boys cover? <laughs> I had to ask him that. Of course you did. Always wondered what. He says, uh, I don't know why we did, God only knows. We tried our best with everything, but it's a cover, and I don't mess with arrangements of covers. It was like across the universe on Young Americans when it came to do that and other songs he gave me, although he did let me do a crazy arrangement for Alabama Song, which is the old uh, Kurt Vile tune, of course, wasn't it? Carlos Alomar was trying to make the best of a, a, a bad batch. He was talking up 
tonight in a way that I don't think he had done before. And I'm guessing that was just probably because the box set was coming out and it was, you know, he just wanted to do his best for that. You would not be wheeled out to promote a new album, a, a, a new version of an album, which is obviously going to be a money spinner by saying it's crap. No. The A to Z of David Bowie with Mark Riley and Rob Hughes. T is for Toy the Album. Now, Toy is an unreleased album by David Bowie, recorded for release in 2001 and leaked onto the internet in 2011. It wasn't me, Bob, before you you say anything. Are you sure? Okay, cards on the table. I did have a copy of Toy for a long time, and... uh, I really liked it, actually. I thought it was. I thought it was. It wasn't a great, great record, but you know, um, for Bowie, just like dipping his toes back in and everything, and some really interesting stuff there. And obviously, some of it did tip up on Heathen as well. Mm. And then all the bits and bats came out uh, at various points. But I did like it. And right. I was, I, you know, and, and but it was it was a really weird thing having it and thinking hey, I've got this Stevie Bowie album that I can't tell anybody about and mm. nobody knows I've got. And it was just one of those things, you know. Okay, I, I I don't know it. I'll be honest. Obviously, I know the songs because uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get the to ones it. that surface. Yeah, yeah, of course. But you know, although Bowie had begun recording the album intending to feature new versions of some of his earliest pieces as well as three new tunes, its sessions led him to Heathen in 2002, and it was never released officially. Originally, Bowie had recorded the album Toy for release in 2001 or 2002. It was meant to feature some new songs and remakes of some of his lesser-known songs from the 60s. Toy remains officially unreleased. In 2001, on his own website, Bowie participated on a virtual chat with fans and when one of them asked about the release of Toy he replied I'm finding EMI Virgin seems to have a lot of scheduling conflicts this year which has put an awful lot on the back burner Toy is finished and ready to go and I'll make an announcement as soon as I get a very real date in the meantime, I've already started writing and recording for another album, uh, untitled at the moment. So far, I have to say it's back to experimental. But knowing me, it doesn't mean that's how it'll turn out. I shall be writing and recording throughout the summer, but dadifying it is really my priority at the moment. Dadifying? Yeah. What does that mean? I don't know, just looking after it. Right, okay, fair yeah. enough. Uh, so uh, let's look at the alternative versions. Uh, Liza Jane, Bowie's debut single, released under the name of Davy Jones and the King Bees. You've Got Habit of Leaving was the third single, credited to Davy Jones, but recorded with his then-band Lower Third. The original version of Silly Boy Blue appeared on Bowie's eponymous debut album, and several other versions of these songs were released during Bowie's early career, including I Dig Everything, Baby Loves That Way, as collected on early on, and then uh, In the Heat of the Morning, and The London Boys, as collected on the DRAM anthology. A version of Conversation Piece was recorded and released in 1970. Uncle Floyd, retitled Slip Away and Afraid, were later released on Heathen. Baby Loves That Way, Shadow Man and You Got a Habit of Leaving were released as B-sides to Heathen singles. And Conversation Piece was included on the limited edition bonus disc of Heathen in 2002. The bonus tracks on the limited edition Heathen disc are Sunday, Moby Remix, A Better Future, Remix by Air, Conversation Piece and Panic in Detroit, which is an outtake from from uh, 1979. Yeah, the songs Let Me Sleep Beside You, Your Turn to Drive and Shadow Man are included on the 3CD deluxe edition of Bowie's 2014 compilation album Nothing Has Changed, which also includes the original versions of In the Heat of the Morning, Silly Boy Blue, and you got A Habit of Leaving and Liza Jane. Okay, so I don't think we really need to go through the track list and all that do we stuff. No, I think we've covered that, haven't we? Yeah, um, but um, yeah, the the musicians, the personnel on it, so you've got Davey Bowie, vocals, keyboards, stylophone, mandolin. Earl 
Slick on guitar, Galen Dorsey bass, Mark Platty bass guitars, Sterling Campbell drums, Lisa Germano on violin, Holly Palmer backing vocals, M. Griner backing vocals, Jerry Leonard guitars, Mike Garson on piano, and Tony Visconti string arrangements. Lisa Germano, she was a um, 4AD recording artist. She was, yes. Yeah, was it called Puppet? And the, the, the single, perhaps, oh. and she came and did a session for Mark Radcliffe and I, oh. and I'll tell you something a bit later on. Nothing, nothing prurient or anything. Really? But yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. did, yeah, but um, anyway. And so, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was one of those. It was yeah. very apparent as time was going on that it wasn't going to come out. Yes. And there was somebody at the record company who just didn't think it was up to the job, which oh. is kind of a, a funny if you think about the... Uh, it's good, really, mm. because if you look back only a couple of minutes to when we were doing Tonight, yes. it was a complete opposite. So the record company wanted him to put something out regardless of what it was, whereas mm. there was some actual uh, qu- uh, quality control, yes. for better or worse, uh, taking part with Toy. And so there it, it was. A, it was a legendary Lost album until somebody got it. I think it might have been somebody in Australia okay. who ended up leaking it. And it, and do you know what? I mean, these things are almost impossible uh, to keep a lid on, aren't they? If yeah. somebody's got it somewhere out there, it will normally leak out. It's a little bit like the 1980 Floor Show. Yes. You know, the video of it, eventually, there's somebody out there who's got it. And there was even, for the 1980 Floor Show, just to give an example, mm. there was even one version of the DVD which came out, obviously a bootleg, because Bowie never wanted it out, uh, but with lots of different camera angles and time codes mm. on it. And so, if somebody's got it somewhere, it will eventually end up in my drawer. Of course, I was going to say, <laughs> is, is your t- copy of Toy in this room? It was only, I mean, it was a digital, so... It, oh, so I didn't have a physical. It, it, never, it never existed. It was never pressed up or anything, right. as far as I'm aware. I made my own little cover for it. Right. Um, you know, and it was a good cover, actually. I mean, Davey could have had it if it had got that right. far, well, but, but it didn't. If only he'd known. So that's it for this episode of the A to Z of David Bowie. But once again, before you go... If you'd like to support us along the way and be a member of an exclusive Bowie club, you can. And here's how. There's an exclusive Bowie members club called Cheap Things. And for just $5 a month, wow, you can be part of it. Why? So now you're thinking $5 isn't much, but what exactly will I get for my hard-earned cash? Well, in short, you'll get lots of great new exclusive material delivered to your door. Well, computer actually, Mark. Via a system called Patreon. That's right. Mark, Patreon is a payment system that allows you to contribute your monthly subscription and offers you a portal to access the exclusive material. Materials such as interviews with Bowie's cohorts and friends, there'll be regular film Bowie quizzes, Bowie guitar tutorials, unreleased archive written material, competitions, and perhaps most impressively, short films featuring the Cheap Things team. Ah, that'll be me, Mark, Howard Knock, and Jason Reed visiting various Bowie places of interest, and much more besides. All this for just $5 a month. So if you can't resist, simply go to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash cheap things, or one word, and join up. There's also a website, bowiecheapthings.com. Book early. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.